everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted, your indiscriminately reanimating dead things Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. <laughs> if it was once alive and is no longer alive, we will reanimate it. But in an unpredictable fashion. Yes. The rules of which may be <laughs> opaque, even to the writers of this episode. This is an interesting one. This week, Dead Man's Party, the second episode of season three, Buffy's great heralded return to Sunnydale. Oh, yeah? A lot of interpersonal stuff, and one of the higher profile monsters of the week mm-hmm. that we've seen thus far in the run of Buffy. This is going to be a good one. There's some good stuff this week, and I got to say, we have reunited. I feel like this whole theme is reuniting. This yeah. whole we're reuniting Buffy with Sunnydale. We are reuniting writer Marty Knoxon with director James Whitmore Jr., who we had together on the very well received. I only have eyes for you. Very well received by us, at least I'm one of the standout episodes of the back half of the second season. Yeah, yeah. and I got to say, there's a lot of Knoxon-esque dialogue in here. Really I have is. learned to love me some Knoxon. She's great. She did six episodes in season two mm-hmm. i think all of which we liked yeah uh five episodes to look forward to in season three <laughs> woman's a machine i mean that's a lot that of script a lot for, for one TV okay series. when we have you have a writer's room it's got like i don't know like generally five to ten people in it depending sure. on how many so i mean for one writer to take you know a quarter of the scripts that's a big deal and to be at least at this point in Buffy's run, yeah. second only to Whedon himself in her grasp of the characters of this world mm-hmm. of that particular, you know, Buffy speak idiom. Right. She really nails it to the point that critiquing a Marty Noxon script is like critiquing a Joss Whedon script. Yeah. You just take it on faith that everything is good and it's only <laughs> the real clunkers that stand out at it's, it's all. It's the occasional clunker because yeah. they don't happen often, but when they do, they, they stand out because everything else is so excellent. And She's a victim of her own high quality. We've got a couple of shaky lines in this episode, but we also have a couple of lines <laughs> so that I think are on favorites. any fan's all-time greats list. Oh, absolutely. There are a couple of lines My in this episode. My most quoted Buffy line, I think, is in this episode. I, I think that's very likely. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the most quoted, but it's definitely up there. Your personal most My quoted? My personal most quoted. Without a shadow of a <laughs> doubt. <laughs> we'll get to that in due course. Let's begin, though, in the beginning. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joyce kicks Buffy out, Snyder kicks Buffy out, and Akathla sucks Angel in. We begin in Buffy's room as she unpacks home again in Sunnydale, Joyce is banging a nail into drywall with a hammer, which is weird because she's had nothing to do over the last three months besides watch HGTV. Is it sexist to say? <laughs> Anytime you begin a sentence with that question. <laughs> the answer is the yes. Answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is absolutely You already yes. know the answer to this question. I'm just going to say, until I married you, I pretty much that's pretty much how I would handle you it. You would have hammered a nail into drywall <laughs> yes. with a hammer. It's a good thing we're married. It is a really good thing. You taught me all about like the little screw sockets that go in and everything. That's for our other podcast. Yeah, our that's home exactly. Our HGTV podcast. <laughs> when Buffy interrupts Joyce, though, she just pounds a hole right in the wall. <laughs> She hangs a creepy Nigerian mask over the hole, taking the college dorm room approach to home repair there. (laughs) Buffy wants to go out for a while, and Joyce asks if there will be slaying. They're dancing around each other, both trying to figure out if this whole weird, awkward situation is okay. Joyce offers to drive because Willow and Xander could be just anywhere, and no Mm -hmm. one in Sunnydale has yet to hear tell of the modern marvel of the cellular telephone. (laughs) Buffy offers her an out, but Joyce gracefully acquiesces pretty good Joyce in this opening scene 
We're getting, I mean, I have to say, and all of you know this, I am harboring a great deal of resentment for Joyce, but I'm trying to remember also that I don't think that's who Joyce really is. I think she was written as a plot device rather than as a real character, and we're seeing her characterized, so I need to cut her a little bit of slack. Yeah, this episode marks the turning point in the way that Joyce is written. She is no longer going to- I hope it does. As I recall, I hope it does. frequently going to be a plot device going forward, and she's more- you know, a full character, a, full a rounded character, character yeah. with, you know, opinions and agency, all of her own. And, and, and I think humor that we see... and kindness and, exactly. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. This is a sharp point of transition for, for Joyce in this episode. Yeah. I think it's not perfect yet. And you're absolutely right. There's some emotional baggage we have to deal with. Right. I, I like her more in the past. than I've ever liked her in this. It's a low bar, but it's something. It feels to me like this really is the episode where she just shows up. This yeah. is absolutely the Joyce that I remember. It's mm-hmm. not a standout episode for right. her. It's not mm-hmm. the best example of the Joyce that I remember, but, but this is at least recognizable. Stuff. There's some good stuff there's going on. There's some great here. stuff. I think you're absolutely right. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to step back and, you know, and leave my resentment behind. It's a new day. It's a new season. We'll see where this takes us. We'll <laughs> right. see where this takes us. Wandering through an alley in the skeevy part of town, Buffy hears a noise and follows a dark figure in a coat deeper into the labyrinth of alleyways. She steps on a can, the figure turns and attacks, only it's Xander with a stake and a comedically oversized cross on his chest. He looks <laughs> like Catholic Flavor Flav. <laughs> he is shocked. As Buffy chides him, it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. They're about to have a moment of reconciliation when a vampire bursts through the wall behind them and attacks. He grabs Xander, which suggests that the cross doesn't do much anyway. But Buffy throws him into the trash as a radio crackles and Cordelia calls Xander Nighthawk. Things in Sunnydale are not as they once were. (laughs) This vamps a little more sprightly than some we've seen, though, and he throws Xander to the ground again before pinning Buffy up against the fence. The Scoobies arrive in the nick of time. Willow and Cordelia pull the vamp off and pin him to the opposite wall as Oz bravely attacks the vampire's foot with the side of his face. It's an unconventional (laughs) tactic, sure, but stand-in slayers have to think outside the box. The vampire throws Willow into the pile of Scoobies, and Buffy does the same for Cordelia, finally dusting the vamp with a sweet new special effect. Oh, yeah. Very nice revision on that special mm-hmm. effect. The first time we see it, of course, in season three, and yeah. we're reminded that, oh, yes, computers were advancing quite quickly at the time. <laughs> From the ground, the Scoobies look up at Buffy. There's a conversation to be had. We cut to credits. And have I mentioned how much I love the new credits? New credits. These new credits are still the best credits. I, I love them. I'm going to love the credits now unconditionally for the rest of the run of Buffy. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's really that simple. I had my doubts. I had my reservations. We had that awful voiceover at the beginning of season one. Yeah. Then we had Giles taking over, which was better. That's our little, our little right. title card mm-hmm. announcement there about the nature of the Slayer. But the music still wasn't quite where I needed it to be. Mm-hmm. But now it absolutely is. And the graphics. Is. We're, we're the graphics past that, that pseudo-comic sans logo there. Yeah, now we is, no yeah. longer have the Apple chalk dust logo yes. Buffy name. <laughs> now we have the full-on gothic <laughs> Buffy, which is exactly That's what we want. That's what a little budget will do for you. <laughs> it's one of the many things. <laughs> Outside Giles' house and how I love that we cut immediately to Giles' house. Yeah. There are so many subtle choices in this script that, that really emphasize the focus that really give mm-hmm. us a sense that Marty Noxon knows what this show is right, about. Right. She's very well aware of the key relationships and treats them seriously. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautifully done. Outside Giles' house, Buffy is hesitating about seeing her watcher again. Xander gives us a quick pricey of his version of Buffy's summer adventure, but the Slayer must confront her destiny. The door opens and Giles is struck. 
Xander covers for the emotional moment, but Giles keeps things simple and says, Welcome home, Buffy. Oh my god. It's so sweet. And, and Giles' it's reserve the moment. is, I mean, it's so incredibly British, you know? Yes. Like, But you can see Tony Head still manages to convey how deep this is felt for Giles. This, to kind of foreshadow a little of the rest of our discussion of this episode, I would argue without a shadow of doubt that this is a new series high yeah. for Anthony Stewart Head. Mm-hmm. I think that this is his best and most diverse and most subtle performance in the show so far. And that's, you know, no small potatoes. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, He did some great work toward the end of season two, but this, ah, there's such humanity there. And we're going to. And it's so underplayed. It is so, you know, people go to these like really strong emotional reactions and really it's these subtle little things that give away so much more and make it so much more believable and you're so much more engaged. And we take the time to do them. That's Mm -hmm. what really, really matters. Inside, Buffy quickly fills them in on the details of her return to Sunnydale. Giles is making tea and Oz quickly explains away the outstanding warrant for Buffy's arrest (laughs) on the charge of Kendra's murder. Let us never think or talk of that again. Xander talks Belgium, and we cut away from the sound of laughter to Giles in the kitchen as he takes a moment Mm -hmm. and expresses gratitude. I love this moment so much, and yet I find myself so horribly distracted by the world's ugliest water heater in the back. What, they couldn't give Giles a utility closet? What is that? (laughs) The exact nature of Giles' little apartment, townhouse, whatever that is. Right. Not to mention the exact, you know, details of of Giles' livelihood. Uh (laughs) I think are open to to question at this this point. This is the thing, like, you know, I, I once had a student who shot this whole story in a frat house where there were just, I mean, seriously, just huge, like 90 gallon, um, trash bins overflowing with pizza boxes and liquor bottles and like all sorts of stuff. Just that his actors had to walk around. And I was like, you know what? Here's the thing. Move it out of the way. <laughs> you know, and I talked to them about controlling the frame. Right. Everything that's in the frame should be part of the story, should be deliberately there. And he was like, well, that's the way they are. And I was like, reality is no defense for fiction. And we go through this whole thing. But I mean, I've taught my students to control the frame. And in this particular instance, that background element in this wonderful, powerful, emotionally resonant, you know, Anthony Stewart had just killing it moment. There's this horrible thing in the background, and I can't ignore it. I can't pretend it's not there. It drives me crazy. Why would you do the shot that way? I didn't even notice it. You didn't even notice it. Okay, I so didn't maybe even notice it. Maybe it's just me, but you'll I never you'll never not be. notice it again. The performance in that moment. <laughs> the performance is, is just so, so powerful. good and so wonderful. Yeah. And, and yeah. you're reminded in the moment that when he's given the chance to really express himself, when he's given the chance to stretch himself a little bit, he's just on a different tier. Yes. Everyone else in the show. As much as I love the other performances, mm-hmm. I don't think is is there a question that Anthony Head's just the best actor at the bunch of them? He is the best actor out of a lot of actors. Yeah. Forget this group. I mean, and this group is not filled with slouches. There's a lot of really, really uh, talented people. But yeah, he's he's in a class by himself. He really is. Back in the living room, now armed with tea, Buffy waves away explanations of her absence and the Scoobies talk slaying. They were getting better despite both the outfits. And their mediocre success rate. Buffy, though, just wants to get back to normal life. Though, before that happens, she'll need to talk to Principal Snyder. Speaking of whom, the next morning, Principal Snyder isn't interested in allowing Buffy to return. She's been cleared of the charges, but he doesn't care. She's better suited to hot dog on a stick than Sunnydale High. Joyce, though, isn't giving up. She'll go all the way to the mayor if she has to. And here, I gotta say... 
This is a pro-Joyce moment. She is on Buffy's side. She's defending Buffy. She is fighting for her daughter. And we're about to get another yeah. one immediately outside. They talk mm-hmm. in the car about private school, about homeschooling. Homeschooling is not just for scary religious people anymore. <laughs> Mostly is. I like that line. <laughs> There's a great sense of the faith that Joyce has mm-hmm. in Buffy yeah. at this point. Even like the tiny gesture, we kind of skipped over it earlier, but the tiny gesture that that when Buffy's talking about going out and she's yeah. doing this nervous kind of, you know, if that's okay, and Joyce offers to drive and it's a mm-hmm. whole thing. And Buffy says, you know, if you don't want me to go out, I won't. Yeah. And Joyce says, no, that's okay. You go and have a good time. Yeah. There's a real gesture of trust mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. Uh, w- which I really liked. It would have been so cheap to undercut that with a moment of i don't know suspicion or discomfort or awkwardness right. or guilt mm-hmm. you know the 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 kind of proto joyce that we saw last season right leverage that for you know for her to be like oh yeah no effect. i'm used to you leaving me here exactly alone right. that kind of passive aggressive thing but when yeah. joyce is treated like a real character she mm-hmm. doesn't have to do that kind of thing because right. we're no longer relying on her to simply motivate the action mm-hmm. she's not just setting a boundary so that buffy can cross it or or She's setting a boundary so that Buffy feels conflicted about being forced to cross it by right. outside events. Mm-hmm. Now Joyce is actually behaving like a person. Like an actual person, and like that an means actual that character. She can genuinely have right. Buffy's back. And nobody really expects liked. her to be perfect. You know, no. it's just that like the the passive aggressive stuff is so brutal and, and emotionally damaging that I just find it just really but terrible. I, I genuinely think but I think it's only in this episode. We don't have that here, and I like that. I think mm-hmm. it's only in this episode that I realized how superficial Joyce was yeah. in the earlier episodes mm-hmm. in which she appeared. That she really is there just to apply that that just that to make Buffy feel bad. To Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> she's just she's there an to emotional bludgeon for Buffy. Yes. That's all she is. Yeah. Exactly right. But no more. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, we're turning know, a corner. Even if she were terrible in the rest of the episode, we have these two exactly. scenes back to back where she just has Buffy's back mm-hmm. and she's willing to to go to the mat to defend her right yeah. for you know public education. What did you think of Snyder in that scene? <laughs> Snyder is is lovably awful. Like yeah. his, you know, not only can I do it, but I get a tingly feeling. Like, um, I love the way he revels in his awfulness. It's it's not often that, you know, usually I recommend that people write villains who are complicated and complex and have good parts to them <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. But if you're gonna go full jerk, yeah. like have fun with it. I love how much he just revels in being a complete toad, you know? Um yeah. and it's it's very fun. No, it really is. It's, I feel like in this moment, it goes a step too far. Mm -hmm. But it is a step that is consistent with what we've seen of Snyder toward the end of season two. Well, Armin Shimmerman, I mean, I just, you know, maybe it is a little bit much. Maybe it is a little bit too far. I love watching him just go nuts with this stuff. Just take it to a different level. And yeah, sometimes he's in a different show. But I don't know. (laughs) I enjoy him. I enjoy him so much. And it's more... I like Snyder when he is kind of representative of a force of authority and order, Mm -hmm. you know, when it's not about Buffy per se, but Mm -hmm. it's about, you know, maintaining control on this, on these children, you know, when he has those conversations early in season two, where he's talking about, you know, (laughs) she hates kids. Exactly. (laughs) That's a characterization for Snyder that I enjoy a lot more than Mm -hmm. his personal vendetta against Buffy. Though even in this moment, of course, we're continuing to get hints that 
there is another that force. It's motivated by other political yeah. forces. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The, the tingle stuff, I think, was was maybe a step too far. For <laughs> See, me. I liked it, <laughs> but I can, I understand exactly where you're coming from. I think I just enjoyed it because I enjoy Armin Shimmerman so much. <laughs> yeah, no, Armin Shimmerman is fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a bad word to say about him. Buffy, after visiting with Snyder, goes off to meet Willow, but our plucky stand-in Slayer doesn't show. And Buffy is left alone outside the espresso pump. The espresso pump. On this, our new, I guess, downtown Sunnydale set. This is our first sighting of the espresso pump. That's pretty cool. And that's our coffee shop. It doesn't look the way that I remember it looking. It's so interesting. It possibly may change a little bit over the years. But um, but yeah, no, I remember the the espresso pump with the weird halfway concrete walls that like... But thank God that, that we don't just have to be in the bronze anymore. Exactly. You know, no, it is nice another, to have a new yeah. location. Mm-hmm. Buffy returns home and meets Pat from Joyce's Book Club. Between Buffy's unexplained absence and Deep End of the Ocean, which I <laughs> looked this up. I love this. Yes. Deep End of the Ocean. Maybe you know this. Was uh-huh. the Jacqueline Mitchard novel mm-hmm. that was the first choice for Oprah's book club yes. in 1996. Mm-hmm. That's so great. That's such a beautifully specific piece of world building. Right. I adore that. <laughs> but between Deep End of the Ocean and Buffy being gone, Joyce has been a wreck. Luckily, though, Pat was there. And we're all glad to have Pat in our lives. We are really glad. See, the thing is, is that Pat is picking up all the passive-aggressive guilt-tripping that Joyce doesn't have to do anymore. And that is what friendship is about. Right, But we have to be careful here. Pat is awful. Yes. Both in this scene and in the later scene when she arrives Mm -hmm. to the party. She is terrible, but we have to be careful not to conflate Pat being awful with Joyce with being Joyce awful. With Joyce being awful. No, it's like, I, what I like to think of this is, is that this is the episode where all of Joyce's awfulness gets shifted over to Pat. And then and has then, a spade stuck in its And then face. we see what happens to Pat. Right. Well, I wasn't going to spoil it, but whatever, dude. Oh my God, if you don't know what's coming, <laughs> the rest of this episode is going to be bewildering. Uh, we should note that Pat is played, of course, by character actress Nancy Lenahan, yeah. who has 134 credits since 1980. She is a working actor. And, you know, I like her. Like, She's you great. know, nothing. No, against the actor she's playing a character who is supposed to be terrible who is written as terrible and that's fine she's one of those actors who always brings that same energy she does you know she does her thing and she does it really well and i've seen her be pat in a thousand different places you know usually credited as someone's mother exactly (laughs) and i like her i like i like her a great deal Mm -hmm. and it's really fun to see her knowing her you know as we do from other things Mm -hmm. it's really fun to see her make that turn yeah get a little bit of the dark side very different energy it must have been a fun day at work for her. I, I'm sure it was the best. <laughs> Inside the house, Joyce tells Buffy that Willow called and that Willow, Giles, and the rest of the Scoobies have been invited over for dinner. Buffy's a little less than enthused, mm-hmm. but obediently goes to fetch the company plates from the shadiest, <laughs> dustiest part of the These are not company plate people. These are regular plate people, <laughs> <Do> Mom. <laughs> that was a nice little interaction. Yeah. Even like the tiny beat right at mm-hmm. the beginning when they're talking about Pat and Joyce is just embarrassed she's like oh yeah that's my nerdy friend (laughs) it's really very very good Mm -hmm. stuff uh so in the basement buffy does not find the plates instead she finds a framed picture of herself willow and xander someone went to the trouble of printing that photograph framing it and then putting it in the basement Mm -hmm. did joyce like passively aggressively clean house while buffy was gone (laughs) Did all the relics of Buffy's previous life just well, end Buffy's up in the basement? Well, Buffy's bedroom is still a bedroom. It's not a sewing room. So that, you're right. That would be the ultimate far. step, right? That would have been pretty terrible. Yeah. It's it's an odd beat 
It is an odd beat. I mean, I see why it's there. It's there to kind of remind us that, that Buffy doesn't right. yet have the life that she wanted, mm-hmm. that, you know, she's pursuing normality. Yeah. And that's and this her. is And that this is a, you know, thing from the past. It's yeah. not the way things, things are not like that anymore. You but know? such thoughts, such reminiscences, such deep interiority is rudely abandoned when ah! a dead cat ah! falls on Buffy. <laughs> it's an interesting moment. I mean... The How do you is- have a dead cat that is that decomposed in your basement? And the first thing isn't like, what is the smell in here? Look, everybody organizes their houses differently. You store your dead cats where you want to. Uh, uh, I'll store mine okay, where I want to. Okay, all I'm saying Joyce is where I come from, we put the, the dead plates. cats in the attic. That's what I'm sure. saying. Yes. The attic's you know, a little closet of their own. <laughs> exactly. Keep them out of the way. You know, mm-hmm. Sure, you have to have dead cats in your house. <laughs> there are, we understand. There are rules for this sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is a weird and striking and punchy moment. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely like it. And mm-hmm. I'm not entirely able to articulate why. Yeah. There's something about the mundanity of it mm-hmm. that, you know, we're, we're used to jump scares in Buffy. We're used to things coming out of nowhere. <laughs> Usually it's is, alive. <laughs> right. This is completely unmotivated. Well, but the thing is that and it's sad. Like there has to be 15 minutes of Buffy just going, ah, ah, right. you know, like That's it. It, it's this kind of mundane horror. It's not a supernatural force. Like, I don't know, a spider crawling onto your pop screen. The people who listen to T-Sats will appreciate that. <laughs> We move from that out into the garden where Joyce and Buffy bury the cat. And Joyce says, Buffy gives her, you know, some attitude about yeah. this. Joyce gives what I think is a very nice mm-hmm. eulogy. Yes, you know? she does. A possibly, you know, symbolic eulogy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, possibly a metaphorical <laughs> eulogy that may also apply to her wayward daughter. Exactly. Yes. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. That night, Buffy is in bed, restless. In Joyce's room, though, the eyes of the creepy mask on the wall begin to glow with ominous, malevolent intent. Outside, something stirs beneath the soil of the fresh grave, and a cat emerges. And never in my life have I seen a real cat look more like a puppet cat. <laughs> and that shot plays out, and the cat at the end walks away. But for the first half is of that, that shot... Is that not a puppet cat? I thought it was a puppet cat. It walks away at the end. <laughs> Am I misremembering the shot? I'm no, pretty sure that it no, walks away at the end. No, but for the first half right. of it, I thought, wow, that is some ropey-looking puppet work. I thought Buffy, they that's combined pretty terrible. it. But, well, they, they did so much with the matted blood and everything on the cat. <laughs> and what was it in the... What is it that you have in your basement that kills a cat with, like, bloody... You know, uh, that's pretty bad. That's a bigger question, maybe. That's a yeah. bigger question. Yeah. I think that we can infer a mouse revolt. Uh, it's the only possible explanation. Hell mouth, the hell mouse. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wrap it up. It's been fun doing a podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but uh... <laughs> I'm here all week. People, tip your waitresses. <laughs> Buffy walks the halls of a deserted Sunnydale High. Angel is there, reassuring her that the people she's looking for are waiting for her. Buffy is afraid, but she goes nonetheless. The school bell becomes the alarm, and she wakes. Joyce is making plans for school. She's going to take it up with the superintendent, and there's a possibility of a girl's school that's taking late admissions. And this is the moment for me that Buffy kind of crosses a threshold. Because she's awful in this scene. She is. I mean, she's, you know, not... This stuff isn't her fault. Yes. She's a victim of circumstance, and I understand well, that that's she's a victim of the choices that she made. And this is the moment that where Joyce tells her that bad choices sometimes come with consequences. Right, but she didn't make bad choices. She was just being the slayer, and because she, she was where she was at the time that she was there, they kicked her out. No, she's she expelled ran because away. of 
Well, yeah. it's been all summer long. The reason that she has to go to the the girls' school is not just that it's a girls' school; it's that it takes late admission. Right, but she got expelled because Snyder expelled her. Right, but if she'd stuck around in Sunnydale, there would have been a whole summer been to able make to other plans to get her into another school <laughs> Fair to enough. overcome these obstacles rather than trying to do them all at the last moment. Obviously, and this is we're the team first Buffy, time, clearly. Right. You know, we understand Buffy's position here, but she is... Here's the thing. Whenever you're writing a character who is going through this kind of emotional turmoil, mm-hmm. it's a balancing act right. because you have to sell their version of events. You mm-hmm. know, they believe that they are right. They believe that they have been wronged mm-hmm. while still feeling, you know, the guilt and the regret that accompanies whatever decisions they made. But right. you can't tip over into lashing out. Well, and the way that I see this too, and this is going to come as a huge surprise to anybody who knows me, is that Joyce is on Buffy's side. Joyce is doing everything she can to make sure that no matter what, Buffy gets into a school and she gets her education. So Joyce is not saying, I want to send you to an all-girls school because I'm punishing you. Joyce is saying, These, this may be our only option, you know? And no. is talking to Buffy about it. And so Joyce doesn't deserve to be snapped out about it. Buffy, Buffy, I understand her frustration, but this is the one time the first time and hopefully there will be more when I'm actually on Joyce's side yeah no Joyce actually does very well throughout Mm -hmm. this scene because this is the scene where she says well can't we tell the police can't we tell the principal shouldn't special exception be made for Mm -hmm. a superhero yeah Joyce unconsciously I'm sure mimicking Cordelia's view of the world where as we know singular exceptionalism is is a core value to Cordelia this entire discussion though is cut short when she opens the back door and the cat runs in Giles arrives a little later with a cage. Animal control probably still busy at the school. Probably still collecting well, animal snakes. Animal control is not good at their job. All I'm saying is a good <laughs> thing we have a cage at the library. Look, they got the snakes out of the school, at least as far as we've seen. Do we see the cafeteria again? Are we sure that the cafeteria isn't just full of isn't snakes? Isn't just full of snakes? <laughs> Snake meets surprise every Tuesday. Giles arrives, though, with the cage and captures the previously deceased little animal. He comments on the Nigerian mask, but Buffy gladly interrupts. It's research time and things are going to get back to normal. Buffy, though, isn't allowed on school property, and that's pretty much where the research happens, so she has to stay Mm -hmm. home. I really like the exchange between Giles and Joyce in this moment. And I really like that they're both trying to... Trying to accommodate and appease the other yeah. without coming out and saying it, you know, mm-hmm. without having, we should really talk about our feelings. This is the first moment in all of Buffy where we mm-hmm. really have co-parenting happening. Yeah. And it's brilliant that they're both putting Buffy's, mm-hmm. Buffy's welfare, not, not just what she wants, but what she needs first. And I like Giles and Joyce working together. Very much. For a better slayer, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> And, you know, it's, it's, this is really where things do turn around yeah. for Joyce. And, and I like seeing that. In the library, the Scoobies juggle their investigation of this undead monstrosity. Oh, okay. We'll call it patches with preparations <laughs> for Buffy's welcome home dinner. Cordelia is the dip, which makes her the shindig girl, according to Oz's very Zendirian piece of taxonomy there. <laughs> I said earlier that lines which don't work yeah. in Martin Oxen scripts stand out. Mm-hmm. This is a good line. The the little division between gathering shindig and hoot nanny. Hoot nanny yeah. It's great. A little bit of hoot. Why is Whole Xander not saying nanny, yeah. why is Xander not saying the line that is clearly written for him? <laughs> I don't know. That very precise mm-hmm. nerdery yeah. is much more Xander. Oz has a much more kind of I don't know. 
loose laissez-faire kind of interpretation. He's he's more connective mm-hmm. in his you know wry humor. Mm-hmm. He's more surreal. He's he's about monkey pants. Yeah, that's all okay. Yeah, Xander has that very clean kind of mm-hmm. you know. This is this thing. That is that thing. Mm-hmm. He he makes those distinctions, and, and humor comes from that. I was really struck that that was. I don't know. Did I it feel to you like it was a Zandarian line? I didn't see it at all. I saw it as very Oz, but possibly because Seth Green, you know, kills it as he delivers oh, it. He I mean, he sells it. No, he he's is, good. I, I, he's so confident and so clean with the way that he expressed himself. I just, I, I never saw it as Zandarian. Now that you pointed out, I can see where you're coming from, but it didn't strike me in the moment. It's interesting that. Looking at the script, it seems as though the reason Oz has those lines... Okay, let me put it this way. (laughs) I could believe an earlier version of the scene where Xander said that line. Uh Then they decided to have Xander instead worry about what they're going to talk about and, again, kind of lay out his opposition Mm -hmm. to Buffy's absence, his opinion of Buffy's absence. And they couldn't have him do both. So Uh they just cut and pasted the line into... And gave it (laughs) to to Oz. Oz. Well, I'm not sure that Oz and Xander are that far apart on their uh, their kind of quippy. You know, I may be interpreting it entirely wrong. It's it's one of those lines that stood out to me. And the minute I heard it, I thought, well, why isn't Xander saying his line? Yeah, I didn't, but um, but I'm so charmed by Seth Green that I don't care what he he's says. Great. If he says no, it, he's, I'm going to just sit there and enjoy it. He's definitely <laughs> overcome his problematic kind of cameo mm-hmm. right, <laughs> trouble yeah. in, in the end of he's season two. He's sort of two. settling in as part of the yeah. Scooby crew. This is, a, you know, this is a nice direction for him. I, I like think it. so, too. Mm-hmm. Turns out, though, that no one wants to talk at the party. So let's just turn that dial from Shindig all the way to Hootenanny and beyond, <laughs> shall we? A party. Let's just hope that they run this past Joyce. <laughs> yeah. There is a lovely beat, too, that, that will come back later uh, that shows some of the emotional complexity that's at play here because mm-hmm. when Xander is critical of Buffy in the library, it is Willow that steps in to defend her. Yeah. Despite the fact that Willow is also furious. Also angry, right. Mm-hmm. Such interesting character work. Mm-hmm. As we cut away from the scene, though, Giles turns the page to reveal, ominously, the Nigerian mask. With his head just turn to the side yeah. so that he'll just never see it. leafing through the book without actually, without actually looking, looking at, at the pages, this which is such a Giles thing to so do. so smart. He just absorbs all this information by osmosis. Ah. It's remarkable. There you go. It's a nice reveal, mm-hmm. except that we saw the eyes of the death mask glow. Right. We don't So we already it. know. Right. It, would it have worked better if the cat had simply, you know, risen from the dead without that cutaway to the, the, the mask glowing? Um, I think that, yeah, you, one or the other, you know, we see the glowing eyes and we come back to the glowing eyes a number of times throughout this episode. Every time somebody, something gets reanimated, uh, you know, we go back to the glowing eyes, uh, which you can say at a certain point is, is, you know, more about pattern and rhythm than it is about absolute storytelling necessity. Um, but this moment always felt really odd to me that Giles would be, that so he's flipping through exactly that because <laughs> the thing is that later on when he does discover that page yeah. him missing it at this moment doesn't have a narrative rel- relativity basically yeah. to that so we don't need it and it's unnecessary and it makes giles look incompetent which he's not all it does in this moment is remind us that oh no there was trouble afoot that this isn't just right. a, a, an episode about buffy's homecoming there really is something but we're hanging out with a dead stinky cat. So I think we know that there is trouble with <laughs> Right. You could have accomplished the same thing by panning down over, over by patches. By showing us the cat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting stuff. Buffy is at home laying out the company plates and the silverware when Pat arrives at the door armed with Tupperware. As if we weren't <laughs> already suspicious enough of Pat. Buffy offers the 
absolute bare minimum of teenage civility before calling for Joyce. No, I, I love this moment, too. Love She's it. like, you want to see my mom? Okay, mom! It was, it's such a cute, I love these moments where Buffy is the slayer and there's so much weight yeah. on everything she does and everything is so serious that these moments where she can be just like a teenager. One of our girls answered the door and it was one of our friends that they didn't know or, God forbid, a friend like Pat. You know? <laughs> mom! You Doesn't know? everyone have a friend like Pat? I don't think so. <laughs> Joyce comes downstairs just in time, though, for the band to arrive. And good God, is that Devin? It is Devin. Devin is back. This full dingoes ate my baby. This really is. This is yeah. This is this is original lineup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is is OC. Dingoes ate my baby. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) We cut to the party as every kid in Sunnydale dances to the fine music of Dingoes Ate My Baby, Sunnydale's premier purveyors of affordably generic 1990s music. There you go. Buffy is alone, even in the crowd. She tries to talk to Willow, who either can't hear her or won't hear her. Buffy almost gives up, then leads Willow away to somewhere quieter to talk. Willow tells her that everything is fine, while everything is clearly not fine. Upstairs, the mask gets its glow on. (laughs) On the street, the victim of a car accident opens his eyes and gets to his feet. We cut back to the party where Cordelia and Xander are making out. Xander tears himself away for long enough to reassure Buffy that they're glad she's back. But Cordelia has apparently been bitten by a radioactive nerd because now she's all into Xander's surrogate slayer style. Nighthawk, indeed. Buffy makes her excuses and we cut back to the mask. In Sunnydale General, a doctor calls time of death on a burn victim who immediately awakes. Back at the party once more, Buffy realizes that some of these kids don't even know who she is. In the kitchen, Joyce comes clean with Pat about the difficulties of Buffy's return. Just in time for Buffy to overhear the conversation, she tells Pat that things aren't better. In some ways, they're worse. Yeah. This is the only point in the episode where Joyce we kind of back slide into back into old, old ways, Joyce, yeah, and we stop making her a character and we make her a plot device. It's not Joyce who slides; it's the writers who slide. Yes, absolutely, and, and and that's a thing. And and you know, it's it's one of these you know overheard misunderstandings. Although we never really do get an explanation of what it was that she meant, if that's not what she meant, because she didn't mean anything. Right? I, I don't think it's aligned with any kind of mm-hmm. merit. I think there's a way of doing that scene that's a little more sensitive that's a little more kind of actually reflective but instead they sell out joyce's real emotional state right so that we can cleanly motivate buffy's desire to suddenly said something like you know it's it's really hard having her back and buffy heard that and then we heard because i don't know how to help her i don't know what to do i'm failing her something like that where and, and you hear the other you hear the rest of it in context but there's no context to this it's just joyce saying that it's worse Having her missing daughter back than it was having her missing, which does not speak well of Joyce. No, of course it doesn't. Knowing your kid is safe versus not having any idea is never worse. Laughably kind of inept and inaccurate that it doesn't even it doesn't even weigh. You have to just rewrite it in your head and whistle past. You really do. Let's Mm -hmm. comment though on the awesomeness of the opening of that scene where Pat is pouring schnapps for she and Joyce, and she and Joyce kind of dancing away to the music. (laughs) It's pretty cute. I had actually forgotten not being incredibly infuriated that a band and a bunch of teenagers have taken over her entire house. She's going with the flow. She's being cool, Mom. I like it. I think that... I would not be that cool if the kids showed up with a band all of a sudden. Sweetie, we don't even have company plates. (laughs) You would have aimed for Dingo's Ate My Baby in the first place. (laughs) 
you'd say, hey, Devin, we haven't seen him since the middle of season two. Invite him over. <laughs> Invite him over. He can sing that one song that he sings in the bronze all those times. <laughs> no, it, it's a good moment at the beginning of the scene. But yes, the mm-hmm. the kind of resorting to the default depiction of Joyce yeah. in order to motivate Buffy and to yeah. drive her over this threshold. She's plot mom. For a moment, yeah. yes, mm-hmm. yes, it's it's a little sad and it's a little lacking. It's uh, it's a little lazy, but whatever, yeah. you know. It gets it gets us moving. So Buffy goes upstairs, distraught, and immediately begins to pack. Meanwhile, that mask is just still glowing, and now there's a <laughs> chanting, which can't be good. Outside Buffy's house, zombies are shambling forward. In the library, Giles suddenly discovers what's going on. He tries to call Buffy, but Drunky McGee can't handle a phone conversation, (laughs) and Giles has to go in person. I'm just glad that we spent a whole minute on that. That's that's a good functional use of our time. I think so. Buddy? Is there a buddy here? Buddy? Yeah. It's... Mm -hmm. Uh, Buffy is almost done packing when Willow comes in. She's angry. Buffy tells her that leaving will be easier, but Willow has a life of her own. This, it turns out, isn't just Buffy's story, Mm -hmm. and she's angry that Buffy abandoned her. Giles, meanwhile, races through the streets in the Giles-mobile, and we have the line, the line from Buffy that you quote more than any other line. I love this line. Go on. Can I say it? Okay. (laughs) Do you like my mask? Isn't it pretty? It raises the dead. Americans. That is the line (laughs) that you trained our children to say. Possibly before they could say Do their name you like and address. My mask isn't it pretty? It raises the dead. I love that. It's great. It's a really fresh take on Giles and his oh, frustration and his. Giles does not snark very much, and I gotta say, snark is something best you know done like salt with the, with restraint. But to have just that one little snarky moment right. for Giles is so lovely. When you I really treat like snark it. like its characterization. Yeah. That's where you run into trouble, you know, right. but when characters are nothing but quippy. When characters are nothing but snark, and that snark puts a line between them and any vulnerability that exactly. they might have, and, and, and all of that. I find that a little bit tiring. I find it tiring in, in writing and in, you know, nonfiction work and everything. Anybody who uses snark as a way of distancing them from their own vulnerability, I don't have time for that. But every now and again, you have this, and this is just a line of Giles expressing his incredible frustration <laughs> with how nobody takes this stuff seriously even on the hell mouth and i absolutely i can watch that in a loop if somebody will give me an animated gif i will post it um i just love that it's fascinating to juxtapose that line because what's most interesting about that line and Mm -hmm. the amount of yes snark and venom that it contains is that he's not saying it to anyone he's not and the most immediate contrast is with that line and the line that he says later to cordelia cordelia do stop being tiresome yes which is a much more kind of typically Giles line. Exactly. It's, mm-hmm. it's strong stuff. And yet, no matter how good Do You Like My Mask Isn't It Pretty is, for me, not even the best line in the episode. Oh. It's, it's a tight race, but we'll get we'll to get my to favorite that line in, a minute. in just yeah. a moment. Giles hits something crossing the street, but when he gets out to investigate... It's a zombie, predictably. (laughs) There are other zombies. There's a lot of zombies, you guys. Back in Buffy's room, they're making some progress, but things are complicated when Joyce appears in the doorway and sees Buffy's case. Willow tells her that Buffy is leaving again. Buffy tells her that she doesn't know what she's doing and runs downstairs. This is the contrast Mm -hmm. with the earlier scene when Buffy is just terrible about having to go to a girl's school. Right Here in this moment... I think Martin Oxen manages to thread the needle beautifully. Mm-hmm. Everyone is angry. Everyone is upset. Mm-hmm. Everyone is almost being unfair 
but mm-hmm. also you know expressing themselves in a way that we completely understand a way that's completely justified yeah. by everything that they've gone through it's beautiful and that moment when willow says in, a, in an accusatory tone she's leaving again you know, yeah when willow turns to joyce mm-hmm. that's a great moment yeah, it is it's so good but you still manage to feel for buffy mm-hmm. that that she's having this you know yeah. this horrifying time that this is so hard for her she races downstairs joyce has had enough the band stops playing and in front of everyone joyce tells buffy off and this is my favorite <laughs> line and this is a crowning moment of awesome for christine sutherland who mm-hmm. we've said before is just fantastic yeah. we've had nothing but nice things to say about her performance but this may be a new series high i love this this line i don't care what your friends think of me or you for that matter because you put me through the ringer buffy i mean it and i've had schnapps okay i love drunk <laughs> joyce I love Drunk Joyce in this moment. I love the way that she she gives that line. I also like that she follows this up with, I didn't handle things well. She admits yes. that she didn't handle it well. She knows she screwed up. Buffy She's calls really her trying. Out. This is it's, actual yeah. honest communication. No, this it's, is so it's nice. Great. It's nice. And I've had schnapps. I like that. <laughs> Because Joyce protests that Buffy didn't give her time to to come to terms with the revelation that she Mm -hmm. was the Slayer and that her life was not what it seemed Mm -hmm. to be. I'm not Team Joyce about that. Mm -hmm. I I don't agree with her because there are some things. I don't care how little time you've had. You don't say if you leave this house, don't come back. Don't even think about coming back. Yeah. Yeah, that's not something you do. It also recasts Buffy's decision to leave Sunnydale. Mm -hmm. Because honestly, at the end of Becoming... I don't think it's Joyce's ultimatum that drives Buffy away. No, Joyce's ultimatum is one of a bunch of things. It's that she cannot face, she can't face being Buffy anymore. She goes away and becomes Anne. Which we know for sure that because she doesn't even go and talk to, you know, her friends when they're at the school. We have Mm -hmm. that really poignant last scene with the Scoobies standing together outside Sunnydale High. Buffy can't even face them. So it's not about Joyce. It's about got everything it's about no and the thing is that if she'd had to kill angel when he was angelus yeah that would have been fine she was ready to do that but she had to kill angel when he was angel and that just i think she didn't want to be buffy anymore she didn't want to live her life anymore and she went off and became somebody different i think you're entirely Mm -hmm. right but this is the moment when all is revealed when all the dirty laundry is aired xander tells buffy that intentional or not she punished joyce Jonathan, though, doesn't have anything to add. He's just happy hanging out by the dip. <laughs> hey, it's Jonathan. Jonathan! I like it when Jonathan shows up. I like it, too. Xander continues, Buffy was selfish, she was stupid, and she didn't even try to talk to the people around her. His line, you can't just bury stuff, Buffy. It'll come right back up to get you. Yeah. I can completely see how that line played in the writer's room. I can completely see how Martin Oxen felt very clever writing that line mm-hmm. down. It's it's resonant. It allows us for that ironic juxtaposition out to the zombies. Yes. Here's the problem. Buffy didn't bury anything. No. She wasn't pretending that everything was okay. If anything, she was wallowing. <laughs> she could is, have done with a little more burying. Yeah. This is another kind of lazy writer thing that you you twist I a line into a pretzel. Okay, no. Okay, lazy's the wrong word. It's not lazy. It's 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 stubborn. It's stubborn writing. It's yeah. it's I am so determined that I'm going to twist this line until I can make this thing that I want to do work. And I understand that cuz I've done that. It's I a have kill your twisted stuff. Exactly. I've twisted stuff into a pretzel to try to make an yeah. idea work. <laughs> and I would like to believe that in all circumstances 
circumstances, if you read my books, you won't find any of that there that I weeded it all out. But that's not true. There are some times where you just you just want something to work. And so you you shove it in whether it really fits there or not. Yeah. Um, and then you pay for it because it kind of, you know, it creaks a little bit. Yeah, because in the moment, it's like, yeah, go Xander. Yeah, we're cutting to zombies. Yeah, all of this right. is, oh, wait, that wasn't what she was doing, though. That's not actually a fair line, and it's not descriptive yeah. of the but real you're right. thematic core of the episode. Yeah. You're right. Lazy isn't fair. It actually takes a lot of work. It's, <laughs> it shows a lot of industry to try to take one of these lines and just shove it in there, whether it's going to work with you or not. Out on the street, the zombies attack Giles, who manages to make it all the way back to the Giles-mobile, but his keys are out on the road. As a zombie punches through the window, Giles makes good on his misspent youth and hotwires the car. I love We are getting it. some really interesting Giles stuff layered I, into this I episode. I love this side of Giles, and I also want to know how putting those wires together um, invigorates the guys who are pushing the car from behind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're always pushing the car. It was just that, <laughs> it was one, just episode. that one, one episode. <laughs> but now I can't look at that car without thinking of the five guys in the background sure. just pushing it. Except this time they're zombies, but they're still pushing the car for him. <laughs> Xander confronts Buffy about Angel and does so while there are still a lot of non-Scooby party guests hanging around. So I guess it's cool. I guess we can just talk about anything now. Yeah, well, you know, everybody in Sunnydale, as we know, no matter what they overhear or what they witness, <laughs> they will somehow retroactively decide that everybody's just talking about ice cream or whatever and then uh, and then go about their merry way. Yeah, the snakes came from the sewers. That's right. Suddenly, Absolutely. all at once. It's. <laughs> I, I kind of wanted there to be just just a step more cleverness in the writing here yeah. because the first line that Xander gets he describes uh Angel as a demon mm-hmm. and it's just it's enough of a beat that you know you think well maybe he's talking metaphorically you know you could excuse the other people in the room being huh that seems like strong language but okay mm-hmm. but then we get into oh no Angel's also a mass murderer right let's let's just you know not equivocate at all about that meanwhile Jonathan's in the back just taking a handful of nachos and like I'm just what? gonna sneak right. out the back this here the weirdest Nobody party noticed. I've ever been to I've never been to a party where people talked about being mass murderers before so Cordelia tries to defend Buffy but things are deteriorating Xander's annoying Buffy's an idiot Oz is stepping into referee and Willow is speaking up in favor of violence as a solution to one's interpersonal problems at which point zombies through the window <laughs> zombies typically shuffle rather than leap even within the bounds of this episode we see more shuffling than leaping but these guys these guys come through I don't know to pluck a metaphor out of the air these zombies come through the window like trained stuntmen with a small trampoline <laughs> Why would they come in through the windows first? <laughs> what possible? Okay. And they come through the door like a good solid three minutes later. Obviously, you've never been a zombie. So let me just tell you. <laughs> through when, your extensive Through my extensive experience, experience. When you are reanimated, you forget how doors work. If you can see through it, you can walk through okay, it. Okay. Okay. That I can and allow plus, for. Plus, when all the glass is made of sugar. But we it's know, really easy to just crash right through. We know from the outside of Buffy's house that they must have clambered over the hedge, then up over the railing onto the deck, and then sprung through the window athletically. <laughs> All right. All right. This is not a documentary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing about zombies in any circumstance, whether they're, you know, battling with your garden full of plants or whatever that ever makes any sense wow. at all. Wow. Yeah, that's right. That's Plants all versus they zombies, baby. They just needed some sunflowers. They, sunflowers. Sunflowers and pea shooters. That's right. That's all you that need to take it. down a zombie. 
The zombies attack. Drunky McGee Fungi gets his neck snapped, so, you know, maybe they're not all bad. Xander and Cordelia head to the kitchen as Buffy determines that these are not, in fact, vampires. Remember, kids at home, it's the simple stake-in-the-heart test. Steak and dust, be a vampire it must. Steak doesn't work, some other demon jerk. Just remember that. Write that down somewhere. Might save your life someday. You would think, though... I love, I love the handy mnemonics there. That's There's great. a dusted T-shirt. We there can just you, put that We got to have it, yeah. You would think, though, that the whole, you know, bursting through the window without an invitation thing. Would have ruled out that it's a Whatever. vampire. Although, I don't know. Actually, maybe because all the kids in Sunnydale are there, maybe what we're having is a repeat of Schoolheart. Uh-huh, you know, all the possibly. vampires accidentally get invited, right. the whole senior class. That's, that's entirely, <laughs> entirely possible. But also, I mean, and this is just my my general demon fighting experience, again, which is vast. <laughs> You're revealing a lot of your history here on the podcast I am, today. I am. What can I say? I've had some schnapps. So, um, I think that generally most things, if you stick a wooden stake through their heart, they may not dust, but it should at least slow them down a little bit. Well, you'd think so. Yeah. But we'll get to, you know, very specific means of killing a demon Mm -hmm. later in the episode, because sometimes there's no kill like overkill. (laughs) Pat is dragged away down the hall as in the living room, the Scoobies and Devon manhandle a zombie just right out of the house. They indulge in some old school Sunnydale barricading. We haven't seen that for a while, but quick, let's put this lamp in front of the door. That'll keep them out. And my favorite thing about this whole thing is Joyce just looking at her house being destroyed. I love the way that they treat Joyce's house, yeah. the way that they treat the set here. Joyce takes that vase and like knocks out. She's in it. Redolent She's of fighting. school hard. I like it. <laughs> Joyce has a this role is, to play in combat. I like this <laughs> Joyce. I like this Joyce. It's good stuff. There's also something very, very powerful about this house being a battlefield yeah. now. You know, mm-hmm. this is a thing that we haven't done in Buffy before. It's a thing that we do rarely in Buffy. Usually, our trusted spaces are mm-hmm. trusted. Mostly because, you know, those are our primary sets. Right. And we don't mm-hmm. want to destroy them every week through a fight sequence because then we'll just have to rebuild them. Right. right. But after, the, it's like the vampires coming into the library yeah. and becoming, you mm-hmm. know. Once we have these these impregnable spaces suddenly made enormously vulnerable, mm-hmm. it gives a real je ne sais quoi to the proceedings. You know, yeah. there's a real kind of intensity and immediacy to mm-hmm. the, the fight sequences. Well, because we the there. safe house is no longer safe. Exactly right. You know? mm-hmm. It's interesting you know what Let, let's get to this right now how do the zombies work for you as a threat i am not a fan of zombies in general unless i'm running from them on my iphone yeah <laughs> i like those those are fun um <laughs> but in general zombies as a monster slow shuffling fairly well you know these guys stupid. Though, these guys can fight we get yeah. the slow shuffling zombies up front right but these guys move yeah i don't know zombies in general i just I'm not a fan of the reanimated yeah. dead. I don't know. Yeah, they don't entirely work for me in this episode either. And we reach what is <laughs> one of the most conspicuous uh, conspicuous little deus ex machina mm-hmm. uh, resolutions at the end of this episode. We'll yeah. get to that in due course. A zombie, though, is unimpressed by their barricade and simply smashes through the door, forcing them upstairs where they find Pat in the hall. They bring her into Joyce's bedroom It's about to get a little Walking Dead up in here, you guys. Downstairs, Cordelia and Oz flee from the zombies in Joyce's room. The mask glows as our heroes try to block the door, and Pat's eyes open. 
Cordelia and Oz emerge from the closet downstairs and run right into Giles. We hear the sounds of battle upstairs as Giles fills them in on the significance of the mask. The zombies are trying to get it, and if they do, bad stuff is coming. Upstairs, Pat is on her feet. She throws Joyce out of the way and grabs the mask. It morphs right onto her face, and the zombies begin to cower before the demon that was Pat. Buffy moves to fight, but its eyes flash and she's thrown across the room. Willow is up next, but Buffy's back, tackling the demon, smashing through the window, out on the roof, and down into the garden. Joyce, Xander, and Willow fight upstairs. Giles, Cordelia, and Oz fight on the stairs in the garden. Buffy is trying to avoid Mobani's eyes. It's a pretty great sequence, and mm-hmm. the sense of the house as a real contiguous space mm-hmm. works beautifully in this episode. I love the set of Buffy's house yeah. anyway, mm-hmm. but it really feels I don't, it feels functional here mm-hmm. in a really great way. The only slight problem, perhaps, is the is the uh, exterior set for the backyard. <laughs> I always I kind of like that we don't see much of Buffy's. Backyard. I think this is the first time we've seen it, isn't it? Um, it may well be. Yeah. 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 Except aside from when we see people leaving through the back door, but yeah, we haven't actually really been in the yard much. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like the the backyard as a as a quiet space. It's sort of fun to have Buffy come rolling out of Joyce's window and down into the yard That's with a, a great wrestling a zombie, you know, demon. So what I love about that is that it feels so much more adult. Mm-hmm. All of the fight choreography here feels yeah. as though Buffy is not leaving anything on the table, yeah. even as she did in in you know the first and second seasons mm-hmm. the fight choreography was a little more state they didn't have as much money yeah. you know mm-hmm. but here it feels as though buffy is really fighting to win mm-hmm. and that's reflected in the change in sarah michelle geller's physique yes she's not yet you know the buffy that we will see in later seasons mm-hmm. but even now she's she's not spindly as she was in season right. one mm-hmm. now she looks like she really can both give and take mm-hmm. a punch yeah. she's looking stronger and that's really reflected I think in the fight choreography Mm -hmm. but that moment where she tackles (laughs) Pat and they roll down the the, the roof into the garden that worked really really well Uh, Giles sends Oz out to Buffy with a message go for the eyes (laughs) Buffy calls Pat's attention and there's no nice way to say jams a shovel in her face yes Mm mm-hmm but does. Yes. <laughs> this is what I was talking about earlier. You're right. A stake to the heart is going to slow most things down. Similarly, a shovel embedded halfway into your face. I don't think you need to be particularly vulnerable in your, you know, ocular region yes. for that to work yes. as a means of, of, you know, slowing you down it's or functional. dealing with the problem. It's functional. It's, it's, yeah, it's mm-hmm. pretty striking. Mm-hmm. We then arrive, as I said, at, at a piece of enormous convenience because when the demon dies, the zombies all disappear. Mm-hmm. Which would suggest that those weren't actual bodies, that they were somehow apparitions. Well, except that when we see, like, we see the burn victim we die sure and then get up and proceed Car to kill guy. all of the medical personnel yep. in the room. So I don't know that there's a real, like, logical through line to how there this must be some magic kind of works. release of energy that is is channeled back out. Right, and if they had all, if there had been like some kind of bright light that just seems to consume all, but they just disappear. Yeah, you know, so it's it's a little bit weird, and it's it's nice and convenient because Sunnydale is now cleaned up without evidence of a zombie outbreak. So, <laughs> and more importantly, because we have three minutes left in the exactly. episode, we still have we things just don't have that kind do. of time. Peace is restored inside the house. The Scoobies recover, and Willow and Buffy finally embrace. We cut from there to Snyder's office, where Giles defends Buffy's right to a public education and threatens with this 
brilliant charm and malevolence to go to the state Supreme Court, Snyder isn't impressed. He isn't convinced, and he has an appointment with the mayor. But Giles pins him against the filing cabinet with a fist to his throat and a cheerful smile and says, Would you like me to convince you? Oh, man, I love badass Giles. Ripper. I love him. There it is. At the espresso pump, Willow tells Buffy about her experiences with witchcraft. They're making up for lost time, but it may not be a smooth road. As they trade playful insults, we I cut to credits. I love that whole sequence with the two of them. I gotta tell Just you. Just calling each other names. It is unbelievably adorable. I think it's a great episode. You know what? I think you're right. I'm not completely charmed by the Monster of the Week. I wish, much as I did last week, mm-hmm. I wish that the Monster of the Week had been... It seems as though there's a gesture toward making the Monster of the Week thematically resonant yeah. with the real central conflict of the episode. Mm-hmm. And like last week, I think they whiff on that just a little bit. Yeah. I think that they try to overcomplicate the, mm-hmm. the metaphor in a way that actually detracts from its impact. Right. Uh, it would have been nicer if we'd had, I don't know, some kind of more functional. There's a moment when the demon's eyes flash mm-hmm. and Buffy is stunned for that second. I, th- I, I don't know why it sprang to mind, but... I thought how interesting it would have been if there had been some kind of monster of the week that had dealt with amnesia, had dealt with the robbing of memory. Mm -hmm. And the idea of Buffy wanting to settle back in as though nothing had ever happened and memories are taken in a way that allows her superficially to do that. Mm -hmm. You could have done some really interesting stuff with a more direct monster of the week. But instead, we get zombies. And I have to say that the zombies themselves pretty much work i mean they're pretty much you know they're a viable physical threat they're not decomposing you know walking Mm -hmm. dead style to the point where you know anyone can (laughs) handle a one-on-one confrontation with a zombie we get that great fight sequence we get the great choreography through the whole of buffy's house Mm -hmm. there's a lot here that works but what really lands for me is the emotional heart of the story yeah i think One of the things that happens with Buffy, at least for me, is that when I look back on an episode, I remember the Monster of the Week. And if I don't like the Monster of the Week, then I think that episode is bad. (laughs) But there's one of the things about Joss Whedon is that he's never interested in the monster. He's never interested in that, which is why that tends to be the laziest part of Buffy is like explaining who the monsters are and how they work and all that kind of stuff. The supernatural part of it is not (laughs) as interesting, I think, as the the emotional lines of the story. So that, to me, is is always a priority for me. So I sort of don't think too hard. I accept the monsters for what they are. I don't, you know, tend like if I, if I really, I always look back on this episode and thought, eh, because I don't like the monster very much. And that's the thing that stands out, particularly with this episode. But the, the way they finally get Joyce to a point where she's no longer plot mom, um, bringing out this lovely, you know, undercurrent of Ripper within Giles, yeah. um, you know, the relationship. Not, yeah. Not just move back from being an impediment but yeah. also showing some of the odd and and quirky pride that yeah. she takes the way that she defers to buffy's authority mm-hmm. during the attack is, is yeah. really quite beautiful even the way in the kitchen when she says superhero is that the right word <laughs> <You know? laughs> i like that she's on buffy's There's a side measure of pride there. this no, is what i've wanted all from of joyce that interpersonal the stuff time, is great is that the she's stuff, just on buffy's side what i love most about the interactions with willow is that it comes from a very real and human yeah. place mm-hmm. willow isn't upset because okay we can draw the contrast between willow and xander and we'll mm-hmm. talk a little about my interpretation of xander Xander's yeah. problem mm-hmm. in just a moment. 
Willow isn't kind of upset in the abstract that Buffy abandoned them. Right. She's upset because she's going through stuff too, and, and she, she lost her Buffy. best friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Buffy is to Willow as Willow is to Buffy, right. and that's that's a beautifully kind of mature and considered take on that relationship. Mm-hmm. I really like it. We'll talk in just a moment about the other kind of points of emotional intersection through mm-hmm. this episode, because there's some really interesting stuff there to pull out. But I think in general... It works really well. It's a pretty good episode. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's cover a couple of talking points before we get to that big discussion about, you know, our feelings and whatever. <laughs> First off, no one talks about Buffy's showdown with Angel. Yeah. Everyone is focused on, hey, where have you been for the last three months? Mm-hmm. Not, so how did it go? Right. Is there anything we have to worry about? Mm-hmm. Did you well, do the thing you were supposed to do? some sense of that when Buffy says, you don't know what I'm going through. You know, but you that's don't much, know. much later. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've tried to kind of touch on the subject of, mm-hmm. of Buffy's absence. Right. Up until then. But you would think that Giles at least would say... So what happened? So what happened? Right. Because mm-hmm. this could have implications Well, it's a very delicate moment i think for for buffy and everybody's tiptoeing around everybody else which is part of why that doesn't come up yes but at the same time there's a monster that can devour the whole earth Mm -hmm. we should probably know know if that's a problem we have to worry about Mm -hmm. or if it's something that's that's been safely contained Mm -hmm. for now that i mean i guess we can't really address it because this isn't the episode where we're going to talk about things like that so that's okay but it, it did stand out a little bit. I would have preferred it even if there had been a, you know, either a we're not going to talk about that mm-hmm. or we'll talk about that at another time. Right. You know, we'll Giles address that later. Mm-hmm. steps in to protect Buffy when they're talking about her absence, but it would have been right. nice if we connected that to what happened at to the Garden what happened Mansion with too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about a really interesting kind of piece of theme work mm-hmm. here. We have this beat toward the end when Willow sarcastically suggests that, you know, talking isn't working. Maybe violence will solve our problems. Yeah. And violence solves the problems. <laughs> violence actually does. The application of violence, specifically against zombies, right. solves all the interpersonal problems. Yes. It creates a, you know, a crucible a that we can burn enemy off the nonsense. that they Absolutely. can, you know, exert all their... Um, and furthermore, it's the direct threat of violence... Mm-hmm. That persuades Snyder to let Buffy back into school. Yes. Violence is pretty great, you guys. Thumbs up for violence. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. In this episode, yeah, I think that's a message that comes across. Do I think it's purposeful? No. Um, But I do think it is... It is how you have to deal with some. It's how you deal with zombies and it's how you deal with Snyder. The other things won't work. When diplomacy fails, then, you know, you, you break out the violence. You think so? And Buffy, I think that's been fairly clear that, you know, when when called for, violence isn't something that we're going to shy away from at all costs. And we'll pull it out when it's necessary. No, but violence has never solved the bigger problems. Mm-hmm. You know, the real challenges that Buffy has faced, the real challenges that, that the Scoobies have faced mm-hmm. have never been you know, blithely physical in that mm-hmm. sense. It's always accompanied with, you know, the the declaration of moral fortitude, or, right. you know, the choice, mm-hmm. even more powerfully, you know, the choice to continue fighting. Buffy doesn't, you know, defeat Angelus by hitting mm-hmm. him with a sword. She defeats Angelus by choosing to keep fighting. Right. And that's a common factor. Here, it really is just the application of violence. It is mm-hmm. absolutely, as you said, the common foe. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure entirely what to make of that. I'm not sure if, 
I, I, I'm not comfortable with the theme being, you know, violence solves your problems. Right. That seems to be so antithetical to what Buffy is about mm-hmm. that I'm uncomfortable kind of stating that boldly. It does seem as though there's a measure of violence or at least, you know, physical activity somehow returns you to who you really are. It kind of demonstrates your core self and you enables you or forces you or compels you to to kind of get out of your own way, mm-hmm. you know, to set aside the stuff that doesn't really matter. Yeah, I don't to know. to reforge a stronger connection. I, I, I see violence as existing within the same space of resolving the problems, but I don't think it was the violence against the zombies that resolved the problems. It mm-hmm. was first they had all yelled at each other and that's part of it. That's, that's part of getting all that stuff out is part of it, but also it's, it's working together as a team. It's reminding them what brings them together in the first place. And that working together to defeat the zombies um, mm-hmm. is I think part of what that it rebonds them as a team. And as for the threat against Snyder, um, while Giles does, you know, push him up against, you know, and is physical with Snyder. I'm not sure that the threat is entirely, is entirely physical or t- I think he just is no. willing to get to, to Snyder with the whatever he can do. The threat is clearly immediate and physical. I don't think it's physical. all, I don't know. I, no, I don't think it's all physical. I, I think, think that he'll, Giles yeah. is not beyond, you know, using other means of, of you right. know, compelling Snyder's obedience. I'm not sure that Giles in that moment, I think he's banking on Snyder's uh, cowardice um, and weakness. Sure. I don't think that Giles in that moment would have beaten Snyder. I just don't think well, that he would have done it. I think it. he knew that he wouldn't have to. That's what I'm saying is that it's, it's more of a psychological <laughs> game rather. It's a psychological game that involves violence and it's teamwork that involves violence rather than the violence itself. I think that we can kind of, of make this less complicated and make it less difficult mm-hmm. by, by overlooking the implied connection between the two scenes. Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that those two scenes happen right on each other's heels, mm-hmm. which, which, suggests a strong link and i'm yeah. not sure that that strong link was as intentional as it seems i don't think it's intentional and and willow sarcastic let's just go to violence is also another thing like you can't just bury it and come back and get you it feels like it is less something willow would actually say even in sarcasm or any kind of theme that we would actually embrace and more just a a comical segue into yeah. attacking vampires. Yeah, no, so, I think you're yeah. right. It doesn't work for me as as a mm-hmm. thesis. It doesn't yeah. work for me as as a, you know, I don't think a takeaway message from this episode. I don't episode. think it's the message that yeah. that they intended in this. So what is? What is the message? <laughs> I think the message is exactly what Joyce says to mm-hmm. Buffy in the kitchen that bad choices have mm-hmm. consequences. Yeah. And it's okay to falter and it's okay to to make a bad choice. It's okay to be imperfect in the moment. The people who love you will still love you. They'll mm-hmm. still forgive you. You'll still come back. You know, you can make it back to normal again no matter how bad your choice is, but there are going to be consequences mm-hmm. and you are going to feel terrible while that happens while you go through that process. Mm-hmm. That at least to me feels like I think that's a little closer than violence solves all the problems, but I'm not really sure. I don't feel like there is a, I don't feel like this is an episode that was written to theme as much as it's about Buffy coming home and resolving that distance that she's put between herself and all the other people. And that teamwork is what it's when they all work together, including Joyce that they defeat it. And then they're once again bonded. So to me, it feels like it's about that rebonding process after a separation. Um, 
And that's about as far as I would go with and any kind of thematic The expression purpose. of... I mean, I guess the one thing that the fight sequence does do is it forces... Uh, the the, the, the argument mm-hmm. sequence, I guess, prior to the actual fight sequence, what it forces everyone to do is actually express themselves. Yeah. You know, I guess if there is an argument that things are being buried, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not Buffy that's doing it. Buffy mm-hmm. isn't burying anything. But Joyce is, yeah. and Xander is, and Willow certainly is. Yeah. You know, all of these things are being... Suppressed. Everybody's pretending that they're not hurt and, and angry. Not, yeah. yeah, but not in a vengeful, passive-aggressive kind of way. Willow, I think, is genuinely burying her mm-hmm. anger at Buffy mm-hmm. because she genuinely wants everything to be she's, okay. And she's genuinely happy yeah. to have Buffy back, you know? I guess maybe, yeah, yeah if there is a resonance there, it's it's that. Maybe mm-hmm. Xander's line is, is ironic yeah. in its intent yeah. that, that Buffy isn't burying things, but he certainly yeah. is. Let's talk a little about what each of these three people are burying because we have... Giles's response seems very clean. Mm-hmm. He's just glad to have her back. Right. It's that simple. There doesn't seem to be any kind of color to that though he does seem i don't think it's a coincidence that this is the episode when we have some of those you know ripper-esque traits return to giles and it's not one it's a handful Mm -hmm. you know we see the the hot wiring of the car we see his frustration you Mm -hmm. know we we see him you know snark in a way that he hasn't before even the moment in the kitchen is a kind of emotional vulnerability that right. we don't get from Giles very and often. And the sadness when he can't bring Buffy back to the school with him yeah. because she's not allowed on school grounds. Absolutely. Yeah. Even his awkwardness around Joyce. You know, mm-hmm. we see that, yeah, this is, there's a recognition of something more mature, more right. adult here. But his response to Buffy seems at least to be fairly clean. I don't think that he's, I think that he understands, you know, that she had to go. I think he trusts that if she had to go, that she had a really good reason for that. Um, and I don't think that he's personally hurt the way that Willow and Xander are. Um, I think he's more parental. He's, I think that's he's true. worried about her safety. He's worried about her. And it is, it's not about him. It's about her. Giles doesn't have a moment where he's like, well, what about me? It just doesn't happen with Giles. He is very much focused on Buffy and what she needs, and he is a support person for her. Because the Watcher is the mentor Mm -hmm. and is, you know, as all mentors are to a greater or lesser degree, actually a servant. You know, he exists. His role is to help Buffy, Mm -hmm. not to govern her or to regulate her. He sometimes has to govern and regulate her Mm -hmm. as a means of helping her. But his primary intent, and not just, you know, his job description, but also clearly the basis of their emotional relationship, this very paternal relationship, is his desire to help Buffy be the best that she can be, the happiest that she can be. Absolutely. Be and buffiest. he hides. Right. And he hides from her. When she comes back, he says, welcome home. He gives her tea, you know. Yeah. And when he expresses any hurt, any relief, you know, any yeah. any pain that he's feeling, he does it quietly. And he keeps that from her so as not to be a burden on her so that his, but it's, it's not like he's burying it in, in some kind of attempt to like pretend everything's okay. He's keeping it from her in a protective way yeah, so that she doesn't, doesn't to, feel yeah, bad. No, I so, read that in yeah. exactly the same way. I think you're, mm-hmm. I think you're right on the money. Joyce expresses herself mm-hmm. pretty clearly, though you have to kind of read between the lines to see what right. she's actually getting at, mm-hmm. which is she's, Hurt, obviously. She mm-hmm. was worried. She was frightened. She was terrified. All of that stuff she expresses. And also, she feels an enormous burden of guilt. Yeah, <laughs> you know? which the, she should. Which she absolutely yeah. should. Yes, mm-hmm. the I screwed up. You didn't give yeah. me enough time. There is a guilt there. But her, her ability to see, because the thing is, 
screwing up is a very human thing. We all do it. You know, it's, it's not not screwing up that's expected. It's that when you do, that you own it, you know, and I really appreciate and respect the fact that Joyce came out and said, I screwed up. I'll admit it. I didn't handle it well, you know, and that yes. honestly, just a recognition of that is enough for it's me to respect Joyce Absolutely. and forgive a lot. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Uh, Willow comes out and expresses herself very clearly mm-hmm. too. You know, we get this very strong idea that that it's not about this abstract right. betrayal, that it was a very personal thing, that she missed but her friend. But not in the beginning. She stands up Buffy, and then when Buffy asks why, Willow says, oh, it's nothing, it was just, you no, know. sure. Yeah. But, but by the time we get to the actual revelation. When we get to the actual expression, She's pretty yeah. clear mm-hmm. about it. You know, mm-hmm. she was hurt that Buffy didn't talk to her, didn't yeah. include her, and then, you know. Mm-hmm. She cost, Buffy's absence cost Willow something important, right. too. You know, mm-hmm. the, there, there really was a price to be paid for that. All of that I can take, you know, and, and, and kind of dissect and understand, I think, pretty readily. Mm-hmm. The one that interests me, the one that fascinates me is Xander. Yeah. And I think this episode might contain just a kernel of something that actually helps me understand Xander's character mm-hmm. in general. Uh-huh. Because he's furious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's a very kind of, it, it is a much more abstract fury, yeah. you know? He's... When he yells at Buffy, it's about what she did to Joyce, about what she did to Willow, about what she did to all of them. Mm -hmm. It's not about what she did to him. Yeah. For me, the, the, the closest kind of emotional read that I can get from Xander is it's disappointment. His hero has let him down. She abandoned her post. Yeah. That's what it is. It's a deserter. It really it's feels like that, mentality. Right? I got the exact same thing. Yeah, he's yeah. discovered that his hero is actually fallible. Yeah. And that Buffy is not the, you know, apotheosis of all mm-hmm. that, 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 that there is right. in the way that he previously thought. And suddenly understanding that Xander sees Buffy as a hero, that that's one of the reasons that he is is so, I don't know, powerfully drawn right. to her, really helps to disentangle some of that weird emotional stuff that we got through season two. Yeah. These odd beats of suddenly there's an attraction between the two of them. Right. <laughs> suddenly he's he's going to defend her, mm-hmm. you know, over Cordelia. That mm-hmm. he's going to do these things when Cordelia was saying, you know, that, that Xander would never, you know, rush into danger for her. Right. Xander's need of a hero mm-hmm. and his view of Buffy as this exceptional person, as this this perfect person. Mm-hmm. I think really opens up some interesting thematic stuff in the second season for me and absolutely informs why he responds the way that he does here. I think that's really interesting and I'm kind of excited to see how that plays out throughout the the third season. I kind of want to go back and look at all those problematic scenes in season two now. And, and no, my to- problem with season two was never Xander. I mean, Xander was, it was kind of jerky for him to be like, yeah. you know, all about Buffy, but that's consistent with his character. What bugged me were the moments when Buffy seemed to be on the verge of returning it. Um, even yeah, knowing, no, some of that. even knowing how he feels about her and that that is really leading him on if she doesn't feel the same way. And, um, and there's a lot of that in season two, starting right from the beginning with when she was bad, where yeah. she's obviously using Xander to get to Angel, but still it's playing yes. with Xander. Though I don't feel when you were, uh, when she was bad was so early in the season yeah. that I don't feel that we'd really come to a place, you know, even between Xander and Buffy yeah. that, that was a sophisticated, mature place. I think we have to look at their interactions post Cordelia mm-hmm. yeah. and, and really start to understand how that works. But for me, it opens up a really interesting insight into Xander's character, mm-hmm. you know, because he is, he is so desperately in need of a hero, yeah. someone to look up to. 
Um, and when your heroes fall short, when you are disappointed by your heroes, it is yeah. that's that's a trauma. You know, yeah. that is one of that's those a betrayal. traumas that, that is a define deep the transition to adulthood. Mm-hmm. It's going to be really interesting to bear that in mind and watch how Xander matures from this point onward. Yeah, I'm interested in that. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to talk about? I think we hit everything. All right, then. Unless you want to talk about Giles being a badass again, because I'm happy to go back to that. We could talk for a good hour about Giles being a badass without any spoilers. We'll talk about that in the future, we I'm sure. Shall, yeah. <laughs> Suffice it to say, there is a moment of, of supreme foreshadowing in this episode, which we will talk about in the spoiler zone. Yes. Which we will get to after the music at the end of today's podcast. But we have one small matter to wrap up before we conclude. And that is our big list. Our big list of every Buffy episode ever. Hey, honey. Where would you put Dead Man's Party on that big list? Oh, my goodness. You know what? The more episodes we have on this list, the harder it is for me to figure out where things should go. Um, (laughs) Do you want me to give you a a starting point for negotiation? Yeah, go ahead. I think, in general, I'm a little hotter on this episode than you are. Mm -hmm. I think I like it a little more, which I think is a fairly common (laughs) position for us to find ourselves. Uh I would, I, I really like this. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very strong episode. I don't care for the monster of the week, but the monster of the week doesn't stand in the way mm-hmm. of the central theme, the way that the monster of the week did in Anne, right. for example. Mm-hmm. And at least in the zombie attack, we get some great choreography. Mm-hmm. We get some great punchy fight sequences. We get a great sense of Buffy's house as a real location, which as we know is a thing that I adore. Mm-hmm. We get a great sense of the Scoobies fighting together as a team mm-hmm. as we're cutting from, you know, the battle in Joyce's bedroom to the battle on the stairs to Buffy out in the garden we get a great sense of how these characters interact we get great moments from oz from cordelia from our you know extended supporting cast i get uh, i guess devon even shows up you know and and helps mm-hmm. devon's helping you know devon's throw the, the, right in, throw some throw the zombie yeah. out of the front door which i just adore it makes sunnydale feel like a more real place mm-hmm. than it sometimes does mm-hmm. it makes buffy's life feel more naturalistic than it sometimes does. Mm-hmm. It really works for me. And, and even, even the dream sequence when she's walking through the school mm-hmm. and Angel is there. Yeah. Really worked for me. Mm-hmm. I like this episode a great deal. It's not an all time standout, but it's a, it's a perfectly competent piece of world building. Yeah. And it gets us, perhaps most importantly, it gets us where we need to be. Right. So that next week, season three can actually can start. start it. So mm-hmm. that we're done with, you know, We've resolved tidying the up the loose ends from season right. two. Right. I would put this somewhere around the bottom of the top 10 of our list. Okay. I would put this, I mean, in a very real sense, the episode that this compares most directly to is when she was bad. Right. We have Buffy's return. We have the emotional fallout of Mm -hmm. Buffy's return. Here, it's much less about this singular relationship with Angel than it is about this network of relationships, primarily with Willow, with Xander, with Mm -hmm. Joyce. I think I would put this maybe just under when she was bad, but it's, it's, it's close. It's a close run thing for me. That would put it between when she was bad and bewitched, bothered and bewildered. That is pretty high on our list. It is pretty high. Um, yeah, I don't know. When I, like I say, when I remember these episodes, I always remember them associated with the monster. Um, and the monster doesn't work for me as much. I don't really care that much about it, but going through beat by beat, looking at it, I think it's pretty good. I would put it, above Halloween and below Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. So one step so lower. One step, one step lower one than step I had. One step lower. It. I think Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, I felt had a little more cohesion. Um, I think was was written a little bit better. Um, had more focus. 
Plus, always, it had a lot less to do. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's always it difficult to kind of judge that. Yes. It is. I mean, the thing with this list is it is a lot of apples and oranges. Um, it is. It is. And it's very top heavy. You know, the fact yeah. that something goes in at the middle of the list doesn't mean that it's an average episode of television. It just means because it's an average episode so of good. Buffy. Yeah. Yeah. No, everything in, I want to say, maybe the top, oh God, the top half of our list yeah. is probably, you know, an A or an A minus great, yeah. <laughs> great mm-hmm. episode of TV. Um, okay. I, I'm happy with that. We can put okay. that in under Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, right above Halloween. Right above um, Halloween. You could persuade me on any given day mm-hmm. that this episode was actually better than when she was bad and it should go in right under school hard. Mm-hmm. But I think that's probably a fight I wouldn't win with you. I think that the highs of this episode beat when she was bad. Mm-hmm. I think that because the monster of the week yeah. doesn't quite cohere. And it's not, it's, it's less for me even about the fact that it's zombies and that's fairly, you know, yeah. pedestrian. It's more about the fact that there isn't that thematic resonance between the zombies and between the, the monster and core. what's actually happening. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay, there All it right, is, uh, number ten on our list, right under Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, right above Halloween. We've got good things coming That's next right. week: Faith, Hope, and <gasps> Trick. Oh my goodness! You can say no more than that. It's that know. simple intake of breath <laughs> is all you need to know. For next week's episode, that is going to be a lot of fun. We are going to have just a few spoiler thoughts after the music. But guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Thank you so much for putting up with this slightly, ever so slightly delayed episode of Dusted. We will be back next week with Faith, Hope, and Trick. In the meantime, call our voicemail line, 252-505-WONK. That is 252-505-9665. Email us, podcast at storywonk.com, or come find us on Twitter at storywonk. And if you have things to say that cannot be accommodated by any of those great forums and media, then you can stop by the forum at forum.storywonk.com, where there is always great conversation to be had. As I said, next week, faith, hope, and trick. I cannot wait. Next week, season three starts with a bang. (laughs) We'll be back for that. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted. So perhaps the most significant thing in this episode is the continuing foreshadowing of the mayor. Yeah. Our big bad for season three. Mm-hmm. I like the way that Giles at the end of the episode introduces this idea that it's not just about the mayor. Mm-hmm. It's local politics. You know, local authority right. has been subverted by a darker force. And he has a sense of it, I think, mm-hmm. in that scene with Snyder. So we're foreshadowing the mayor quite heavily that's all great we have our downtown set we yeah. have our espresso pump. espresso pump that's a nice which thing to i see. can't look at without thinking about giles in season five where he uh where he sings there if you did right <laughs> oh my god if you I, I know that it shows up again i i, I can see now uh-huh. that of course it has to show up this yeah. early if you had asked me even last week when the espresso pump shows up in buffy i, I would, would have said, said season four, four. I would have said season four, too. It's not just me. That's great. (laughs) So we've got the mayor. We've got the espresso pump. Mm -hmm. But there were two major bits of foreshadowing. Okay, let's be honest. Not even foreshadowing. (laughs) Weird synchronicity in this episode. We basically bookended this episode with weird synchronicity. Mm -hmm. Right at the end, Willow is really enjoying her moral superiority (laughs) over Buffy. Mm -hmm. So much, in fact... That it's like a drug. It's like a drug. That's like probably so many the other last time we'll like ever have anything compared to a drug exactly. in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear that. It's so close to her account of, you know, her experiences with magic. Right. 
to have that line right there, mm-hmm. it gave me chills and not in an entirely good way. Mm-hmm. And of course, right up front when Buffy accosts Xander in the alleyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's all fun and games until, until someone, someone loses, loses an eye. Loses an eye. I know. Oh God. That's gonna come back a long a time long from now. Time from now. Yeah. And it's just the the last half of, you know, season one where you gotta get used to Xander with the patch, but last half of season seven. Season probably. seven, I'm sorry. Of course. Season <laughs> the, seven. Pretty much the opposite. Pretty much the of opposite of that, season seven. <laughs> Um, yeah, and you know, and the thing is that when Xander loses his eye, that is one of the like most just gut wrenching moments in in season seven. Season seven, not to foreshadow yeah. our conversation too much, is nothing but a series of violent and intrusive yeah. transgressions. Mm-hmm. You know, we cross lines in season seven there is so much loss in season it's seven incredible yeah. um it's it's incredibly audacious mm-hmm. storytelling I, I i can't wait to get to to talk about buffy at that scale yeah you know, to talk about buffy with nothing that kind left of, on the table exactly yeah right. exactly mm-hmm. nothing left in the back pocket you know we don't have to worry about about sets we don't have to worry about right. continuing relationships every it is it is buffy at its most most extreme, most mm-hmm. empowered. You At its know? most Buffy. At its most it is. Buffy. It is going to tear your guts out. You would have loved it if they'd renamed it, you know. Yeah. Buffy, Buffier, Buffiest. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we have to look yeah. forward to. Those are our spoiler conversations. Guys, you know, if you're listening to the Spoiler Zone, of course, what comes next week. Oh, my Can't goodness. Can't wait for that Faith, Hope, and Trick coming up so very excited. soon. I love Faith. And she is complicated and complex and trying so hard and yet so evil in some ways and god i love her and i think eliza dushku does such a great job playing faith we are going to have an extended spoiler zone next oh, yeah. week i'm sure Just we'll talking about foreshadow faith. the whole arc of faith's character yeah. and, and what is to come but my well god, and another thing talking yeah. about the the stuff with angel that we've had um last week and this week oh i wanted to ask you about this because yeah because the, there he is in the credits in the credits and then he's in the <laughs> dreams and the thing is is that we have to keep him around but i mean obviously you know know angels coming back but do you think having him appear in dreams yeah. is such a great way of both keeping him in the show yeah so he's a present active force mm-hmm. but also kind of sublimating any idea that well he's got to be back because he's in the credits well okay He's got to be back because he's in the credits. If he was going to be dead, dead, they wouldn't bring him back. They wouldn't have these dreams. They might have these dreams, but they wouldn't have him in the credits. I think putting him in the credits was play in their hand. I think that if David Boreanaz's agent had just been like willing to give a little oh, at that for the time, purpose though, of the storytelling. At that time on network television, we weren't playing you don't think with people credits were that in the savvy? way that we do. No, I, I don't think it, it would have been done. Yeah. I think that there were uncrossable lines at that point. And I think that if you have to have him in the credits... At the very least, keeping him around in these dream sequences yeah. allows you to to deflect expectation of when, of if he's when going to return. He's, or, or how. Or how he's going or to return. Or if he's just going to be a voice in, in exactly. Buffy's head all season, which, you know, I don't think anybody thought was actually going to happen. Um, but, yeah. but I, <laughs> I mean, don't know. It would have been great if he'd shown up like uh, like Al in Quantum Leap. 
he'd just been wandering around giving Buffy advice and no one else could see and him or no interact with him. That would have been awesome. See him. That would have been interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm glad they did it the way that they did it. Oh, sure. <laughs> Instead of that. <laughs> it's almost as though these were super skilled writers. Exactly. And that there was a good reason that I wasn't writing Buffy the Vampire Slayer at this time. Aside from the fact that you were 12 at the time? No. Yeah, you know, there were a few things to think about. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for sticking with us. Like I said, next week, Faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, so much to talk about. Can't oh, and wait. Trick. I like Trick, too. Well, Hope we'll I can have a conversation out. about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that we'll next definitely week. definitely talk about that. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next week.